You're with The Regeneration, ad-free, freely available, independent and listener-supported. This isn't about a new transaction, certification or technological innovation. This is transformation. The custodial art of life being at the centre of every act and decision. And don't it feel good? Thanks so much to new patron of the podcast, Rob Scott. If you too value what you hear, please consider joining Rob by becoming a patron too. For as little as $3 a month or whatever amount you can and want to contribute. Big thanks from me as usual. And you'll also get exclusive access to some behind the scenes footage. A place to engage with other patrons. Invitations and more. And of course you'll be helping to keep the podcast going. Just head to the website via the show notes. Regeneration.com And click on support. Thanks a lot. You're with The Regeneration. Exploring how people are enabling the regeneration of life on this planet by changing the systems and stories we live by. It's a transformation and we need a transformation in the whole way that we're living and functioning as a society, don't we? And our expectations of what our planet can provide for us, how do we, you know, look after it as custodians? G'day, my name's Anthony James, and that was Diane Haggerty. Diane doesn't really need an introduction these days. When last on the podcast for episode 68 around 18 months ago, I'd come to visit Di and husband Ian to learn about their world breakthrough regenerative farming operation. You'll have heard them mentioned in a number of episodes since, and featured on ABC TV and elsewhere. Their natural intelligence ethos, fierce grace, and incredible story of regeneration ignite the imagination. And their episode remains among the top six most listened to on this podcast. So when we were heading south from the Kimberley late last year, we dropped in. It was a hectic time for the family, going about a bumper harvest while hampered by some supply chain disruption. So we didn't plan on recording anything. But Di and I did end up finding a 15-minute window, so we rolled with it. A small window to be sure, but hey, we were there, and I'd take 15 minutes of listening to Di any day of the week. So join us, under the stars, on a warm December evening, for a quick catch-up on some of the brilliant and challenging aspects of the year. Their regeneration of country continues apace, but there's a clarion call here too. And fittingly, it has echoes of Patrine McCrowan in the previous episode, noting that one was recorded in the region of the Haggerty's old haunt and their transformation. Here's Di. Di, great to be with you again. It is our first podcast done in the dark after sunset at your place here. Magnificent evening, AJ. Uh, and you've been, of course, kicking back and taking it easy today. <laughs> Yeah, pretty normal at this time of year. Yeah, what's a day in the life at this time of year? Pretty crazy sort of stuff, but um, yeah, a lot of sheep work still given that the weather's heating up and so you've got to be really on top of the waters, but getting some headers back to the paddocks. We've had two broken down headers today, so one being repaired on one farm and the other one being collected from Wongan Hill. So yeah, she's been a big job getting them back so we can actually get one doing some work today. Brilliant. The blokes are out there right now taking care of business. Give us an idea of how the harvest is going. And I guess, you know, since we last spoke for the podcast a year and a half ago, like what stood out? What's gone really well since we spoke last? 
Um, I guess we've been fortunate this season that's been a, a good rainfall season, whereas the previous two ones have been fairly horrific. Um, but this one has been really kind, so there's been some really good crop out there. And just being able to see some progression in that land capacity too, to um, you know get their roots down and, and do a lot with within a biological system. So it's been encouraging to see that with a high rainfall year that you can get some good production outcomes as well without having to use huge rates of... Um, well, any rates of actually of any conventional fertilisers, so it's been nice to see that the biological side can do it on its own. Previously we were seeing how your returns were holding up and the land was holding up without those artificial inputs, without the rain. But the rain's come and you have seen the surge of return as well, and not just in output but in nutrient levels and so forth, the other measures, the carbon even, that you keep tabs on as well, hey? Absolutely, and I think that's been a really interesting thing too, that we've been able to get some good quality grain delivered even without the typical scenario of putting on a fair bit of um, nitrogen in particular. Uh, this was a pretty high, high nitrogen use year throughout the state and you know, being able to grow crops of similar yield without having to put that on um, has been yeah, very encouraging. I mean, we've still got a long way to go in building that soil capacity to do it throughout all soil types. It seems to be the where the most organic matter is that we get some pretty good outcomes. But then again, we're still talking from a very low base of organic matter um, compared to high-functioning soils throughout the world. They're very low, um, still in Western Australia in most parts. So, yeah, still got a lot of upside to come. Mm, and you are seeing, off that low base, you are seeing some pretty enormous measurement returns if you like what's a couple that have stood out yeah i think um probably um would be the changes in the soil organic carbon levels and we had some testing done after 12 months on a, a new property and saw an increase of 47 percent on average across all the three different um, farms that we took on that past year so that was a pretty encouraging outcome and some of the standout ones there would um even 92 percent it's pretty amazing in that kind of a time frame. Yeah, amazing. And you enlightened me about BRICS levels last time we spoke as well. <laughs> How are they coming along? Are they surging too with this? Um, they say they've been pretty good for a long period of time. We've sort of been getting crops that can sort of hit around the 2025s um, at that stem elongation stage um, and early flag leaf stage. So, yeah, I don't know what else there is to come but um that's a pretty good outcome from our perspective um we'll just yeah just keep an eye on it we don't we're not madly out there chesting it all the time anymore though because it's been a fairly consistent thing over years so we're not running around all the time we just do occasional tests now okay but you are keeping carbon baselines i guess in readiness for market mechanisms i think that's right yeah because that's where things are moving a lot out in the wider community aren't they um, there's a big global interest in soil carbon and with all the carbon farming and carbon credits and all that kind of thing we haven't been involved in it just sort of been sitting back watching for a long period of time and um but slowly starting to get to be something we might be able to be involved in it might be worth grounding that in some of the reality of, of why that's becoming more relevant, as if people needed this perhaps. But the visceral reality here is that last time we were here visiting, nine months ago, while we were heading north, we had to wait for a cyclone to pass 
and heard that you had been impacted even this far inland and of course this far south mm. we saw the coastal towns that had been well and truly smashed by that cyclone unprecedented distance south and what's standing out to me coming back is that these towns and farm infrastructure are largely not repaired because the supply chains are so disrupted that they're not either getting the materials or the people or both to do the job so the amount of roofs well pretty much every roof that was lifted is just tarp covered and we're talking about people's homes here and that's with another cyclone season expected mm. to be one of the worst i yeah. mean we don't know if they come this far south again and hopefully they don't but we just don't know and no. to think we're that vulnerable again and, and the fire recovery situation over east is a similar tale and yeah. it really brings home I guess why a farmer like you is in a position of paying attention to carbon but it speaks to you about bigger needs too doesn't it Di and I guess I'm wondering you know being one of the people facing uh, prolonged infrastructure repair in these sorts of scenarios and those vulnerabilities how it makes you feel and what you what it makes you think. Well I guess there's lots to that question AJ and there's a yeah the lack of preparedness I feel that these things are going to come up and catch us very unprepared, unfortunately. Um, and yes, there's going to be perhaps have to be complete new building codes for some of these areas because this could well be, you know, something that may happen one in ten rather than one in a hundred or whatever else it might be. Um, and it's certainly when you look at the structures around the place that have been damaged, a lot of them are going to be significantly weakened for the next event so if they haven't been blown away this time they might be next time so um, yeah it's going to be a very interesting thing and I think too um, when you take it out from there looking at our whole landscape preparedness as well um, there was a lot of trees that were lost and things like that knocked over with those winds um, and the heavy rain but I think um, yeah we just got to look at having that resilience in that landscape too so that it can bounce back and not have um, yes so much risk of big landscape damage as well so there was some issues with um, you know wind erosion and things like that with a big cyclone coming down like that so yeah we've just got to try and make sure we've got that resilience there because it's an awful knock for everyone to um, yeah to lose soil. Yes, it's sort of another manifestation of the feedback loops that you can well imagine escalating and reiterating worsening patterns as they go. But hopefully we circumvent that and we set virtuous cycles in the opposite direction yep. with more of the efforts that we started talking about here. And of course it wasn't just then with the land that you were working with in last year, year and a half since you were on the podcast last. There were partnerships that you were looking to build up and they had in some cases to do with carbon trading, in other cases to do with further development of regenerative work. What have you learned through that process, I suppose, Di? What, what's come home to you about what we need to have our eyes on, not just as farmers, but man, I mean from the other side of the court, you know, as investors and as consumers, yeah, I hate that word, but as people who eat and mm. people who care, yep. what have you come up away with this year in what you've learned on that front? I'd like to raise, I guess, the issue that trying to find people that have got that genuine concern rather than it being financially driven still at this point because we need to make a 
change, don't we? We've got to flip our thinking for the short term so that we've got a medium to long term. Yeah, so some of the financial things might have to be put on the back burner for a bit while we change the infrastructure. <laughs> There's some big shifts required as a society, I guess. I seem to be coming across the people at a ground level um, that are really making big shifts in their way of thinking and how they can contribute and doing their absolute best to try and make those changes um, personally and as a family. But it just doesn't seem that it's getting to the upper levels enough where it's the focus is still on financial returns being stable in the short term. And I feel we've got to try and put that aside a little bit and focus on the bigger goals for the short term so that we have got a medium and long term to be doing business or living or whatever else it might be. So if we can't change our thinking now um, and change our actions rapidly, then a lot of all that stuff's really going to go by the wayside. And, you know, we were talking before about the cyclones and that and coming down lower and, you know, very intense and what's happened in the US just recently with that big tornado strip that went through there. All the money under the sun's not going to help if we can't deal with those things effectively. I mean, we've got to try and lessen somehow. I mean, it was probably a a big ask and whether it's um, achievable at all now or not, but um, there's still the science indicating that we haven't totally lost all hope of being able to achieve that. So I really think um, some big funds should be getting invested into making those appropriate changes, changing the infrastructure, changing the foundation of how business is done with a clear focus on being that environmental outcomes for us all um, rather than just short-term yeah, short personal profits for a particular business itself. Yeah, so really shifting, medium to long-term, shifting the basis of how returns are made and that's hopefully in tow, arguably in tow, some of the market mechanisms we're talking about. But but there's a real what fork in the road almost in a sense then as I'm seeing it where if investors are up to that, if they can do that, and you know, policymakers can shape the framework for that too, then great. But if they can't, then we'll set up sort of old style gold rushes for the nominally good stuff, you know, the regenerative work, the carbon trading, the stuff that could lead to good outcomes will just be done in the wrong way, in the old paradigm way, if you yes. like. I mean, the, the rush now, EWA alone for hydrogen and ammonia and and obviously renewables and let alone carbon, the rush is on. Yeah. Yet you have found it not able to work as one of the leading protagonists in the space. And you're sounding the shift that needs to happen. And I'm seeing then if it doesn't, wow, there'll be a whole, it'll lock us into a period of time that's vital that, that things change in. It'll lock us into the old paradigm still. That's right. I think that's still very prevalent. The old paradigm and people are hanging on still very closely to business as usual and just changing the area perhaps or the label they're putting on it. Um, Yeah, so it's not really having the outcome it possibly could really well do. And if we ran with it hard at the moment with R&D and all those kinds of things to really look at how that we can do things better quickly um, and put that out at a wider level quickly um yeah i'm sure we can make some great changes but it's it's really got to be have a bit of impetus behind it instead of just thinking oh well we'll just stick with the old same old way because that's comfortable and just thinking they're at the forefront of um perhaps a new it's like a bloody 
not not a new trend, but you know what it is when um you know like the carbon things, all the thing, all the your own yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, like the craze of the moment type. type That's of stuff. right. You know, just they're moving into new areas, but not with new way of thinking at all. It's still just money as usual, profit as usual, making sure they're all all those financial boxes are ticked first before they even really, you know, they, they don't entertain the thought that they might lose money on something mm. that could really have a positive outcome environmentally or whatever else as far as, you know, those global needs, you know, those yes. crisis points that we're hitting. But it's to see, it's not so much to see it as losing money in the short term, it's investing in yes, investing the shift in, the... in paradigm because regenerative isn't just a transaction no in the old manner it's a transformation and it's a, we need a transformation in the whole way that we're living and functioning as a society don't we and our expectations of what our planet can provide for us but how do we you know look after it as custodians we're making a bit of a botch up of it mm. because we've got those wrong priorities i really look forward to what comes next year with more explorations and even people who hear this perhaps and think yeah let's do things differently and we can perhaps play a part in that it'd be interesting but Di let's sign off for now because you've got to get out and get stuff out to the blokes <laughs> <laughs> but before we go what music you're listening to you asked me that last time <laughs> <laughs> and I mucked it up that time I too. think Ian answered for you last time yeah he did <laughs> we just left you to say much different stuff Ian's got a good playlist on his phone and we just listened to that <laughs> and then we head home and it's got a lot of the old stuff from the 80s I guess lots of different good music there there's a bit of um, Dire Straits and Ooh. different people like that very nice yeah <laughs> That was Diane Haggerty, pioneering regenerative farmer from the North Central Wheat Belt of Western Australia. For more on Diane Ian and natural intelligence farming, see the links in our program details. That includes my extended conversation with Diane Ian back on the farm in 2020 for episode 68, along with the selection of photos. It also includes a link out to a new report from the globally influential textile exchange, hot off the press that the Haggertys were engaged extensively in. We'll have more on this and some other brilliant new developments soon. And my young fella did his own podcast episode with Di, so of course I'll put that link in there too. With thanks to the generous supporters of the podcast for making this episode possible. Please join this growing community and help keep the regeneration going. Just head to the website via the show notes, regeneration.com forward slash support. Thanks as always. The music you're hearing is Rockin' in the 80s by Dr. Sparkles, sourced from the Free Music Archive. My name's Anthony James. Thanks for listening. <laughs>